Welcome to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Our mission is to bring you discussions on a wide array of topics in the coaching world to grow players on and off the court. You can connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, and also reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, here's your host, Coach Mike Hernandez. Welcome back again, everyone. Thank you for joining us here for another episode. Really excited to have you all here today. Today's topic is going to be about shooting. We're going to talk about developing shooters and how to make good shooters into great shooters. We as coaches can never have enough offense on the court, and we all know that good shooters are so essential for a great offense, no matter what system you want to run on the offensive end. I don't know any coach who will say that they have too many good shooters. I don't think that's even possible. So today's guest is going to share what they do to develop shooters and share some tips that will hopefully help you as well. I'm glad to be joined today by the boys coach at Heritage Academy in Mesa, Arizona, which makes us practically neighbors. My guest today is Coach Ben Dawson. Coach, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here and I'm thankful. It was really nice meeting you. Yeah, this, this would be great. And uh, as a coach myself, who's always looking to, to get more shooters on the floor, I'm, I'm going to be learning just as much as, as the listeners are today. So coach, uh, I gave away a little bit about where you coach at and, and what the location is, but let's go ahead and get into your uh, basketball journey, your coaching journey. Talk to us about where the game has taken you and, and where you're currently at right now. Okay, well, it all started out, I played basketball at Hamilton High School, uh, had some... Oh, nice. <laughs> yep, yep. So I was back in the Kevin Hartwick era. And so I, you know, my junior senior year, I was injured. So I kind of really soured my, my kind of basketball career. So I kind of fell out of love with the game for a few years. And then two years ago, uh, I get a call, I get uh, some someone I used to know at Hamilton was now coaching at Heritage. And he wanted me to become the junior high B coach, you know. And so I was, you know, I was like, sure, I'll come and do it, you know. And I and he also was like, hey, if you want to help out, come help out with the varsity team as well. So I was kind of a varsity assistant, junior high B coach. And so once I walked into that gym, it was like the pearly gates open. I could hear the trumpets. I just knew, <laughs> like, I was back. Like, coaching was where I needed to be with my life, you know. So the junior high B team, <laughs> a bunch of great kids, didn't have all the greatest talent in the world, though. We, went to, we ended up winning two games, but but they're just great kids. Our varsity team. I could tell we, as soon as I walked in, we had a lot of talent, you know, but Mm. we just had to get it organized. And so about two games in the season for, for, I don't know, I still to this day don't know the reason, uh, the head coach left the school. And so our team was left without anybody. And so they were looking around and I was the guy there. So they, they had me step up to the plate and they brought in a coach Portia to come help. He was the head football coach. He's won eight state championships at our school for football. He played in the NFL for the Atlanta Falcons, probably one of the best leaders I've ever met in my entire life. And we kind of teamed up together and put get, got those guys going. And we lost in the state championship two years ago to Glenview. And then this year, our guys were real motivated, came back and we won it all. So it's been quite the journey. Yeah, that, that is excellent. And, and for those listening who don't know, uh, I kind of mentioned a little bit Hamilton. That is, that's big time over there here and here in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's a re- real, I'm actually going to ask you about that uh, because I know um, about the, the pressure that's put on uh, being at Hamilton. I know what the standard are, standards are over there. So being around that program at Hamilton, how did that sort of help prepare you for uh, where you're currently at right now? What kind of lessons did you take from being there? Oh, immensely. Kevin Harwick ran one of the most structured programs I've ever seen in my life, top to bottom. You know, it was, everything was accounted for. We were always training the right way. We were always playing the right way. You know, his off-season conditioning and lifting programs were elite. Like, we were always in the gym. We were always lifting. And we're always getting after it, making sure our bodies were right to go for the season. So just the way he structured things Mm. was amazing. He was just top to bottom organization. So that's something I really am trying to emulate from what he did. You know, he just his structure and organization was incredible. Yeah, 
absolutely. Even even I I've I've heard about that in the in the mm. structure and the organization. I feel like a lot of those elite programs and ones that are successful year in and year out, you can you you know what the drill is. You know you know what the program mm. is. You know what the expectations are. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, coach, we we all know that 2020 2021. Uh, crazy year uh, especially for for coaching basketball and and so many coaches had so many things that they had to navigate and work through uh just to even have a season and and at heritage academy you guys you went all the way uh caa d3 state champions a tremendous amount of success so how did you and your staff and your program how did you navigate everything uh this this past year in, in order to achieve the success that you did well, it all started with the dedication of our guys, you know, losing in that state championship the year before, you know, it really stung them because we, we truly believed we should have won. But at the end of the day, the other team just flat out beat us. And we knew in that offseason we needed to get better, you know. And so once we went into the COVID protocols and everything got shut down, our boys were, you know, real worried, disappointed. But they all at home kept with it, kept, you know, getting shots up in their backyards, going to park shooting. And then once we were finally allowed to do at least outside conditioning, every single one of our guys was at 5 a.m. Because, you know, that, that heat's pretty intense. So we had mm. to go outside. We were at a park running hills, running miles, just doing whatever we could to condition. So it really started with the dedication of our boys. I can't stress that enough. So, I mean, any any player that's going to be out there at, at, at 1, 5 a.m., but also mm. out there in Arizona in, in the summer. Yes. Tr at 5 a.m., <laughs> it's still 90 degrees. Once we hit 6 a.m., it's already 100. So Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and just to follow up with that, what has this year kind of taught you? What have you learned about yourself as a coach uh, through this experience this past year? It's really taught me, you know, how to be patient and disciplined you know because I'm just I was very gung-ho I wanted to get after it but you know we had to wait so long and then in a the game it, when it translated to games it taught me you know sometimes you let players play through mistakes you know from year one to year two so I started you know yanking guys less letting them play through mistakes and I feel like that really helped me just and then showing that just showed my players I trusted them more and so once that trust started building between me and the players it just really took us to another level so yeah, I, I like that idea of patience a lot. I feel like just with some of the stop and start and just the uncertainty. And just, <laughs> yeah, and it's the overall development of players, you know, because you forget a lot, like a lot of our guys also at a small school, like most of them don't play club basketball. Most of them are playing multiple sports, you know, mm -hmm. two, three sports. And so really the only time they touch a basketball is during basketball season, you know, and so it really, you know, it took our guys, some of our guys halfway through the season to really get that basketball feel, you sure. know, not playing basketball in a full year. So we just really had to be patient with our guys and their development and their skills and understanding our system. So, And and to add to that, just based on uh, the, the story you shared about that, them getting up at 5 a.m., mm -hmm. I, I feel like a lot of the coaches who have had a lot of success in a lot of programs that were really successful this past year, the teams kind of stayed together. They were still yes. working. They were still connected mm -hmm. and everything. That sounds like you had that experience as well where your team was sticking together this past year through everything. Yeah, yeah. We we had a, we didn't have a set schedule, but we still had a Zoom calls every now and then. You know, I was still checking up on all my guys, texting them, you know, how you doing, how's your family? You know, just we all, you know, we all were really close. So we just all kept in contact with each other. So, yeah, no, that that's great. And probably just makes everything that happened that much sweeter, too. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. All right, Coach, so we're going to talk a little bit about um, just, just shooters and developing shooters. So let's start with uh, – I like to say it kind of like the finished product. So when you are looking at a great shooter, what is it that you're seeing? What in your opinion makes a great shooter? For me, a great shooter, what's most important is I would say release time on their jump shot and be able to shoot with consistency. You know, release time to me is ex extremely important because when games get tighter and they close out quicker, you got to be able to get that shot off effectively you know with pressure on you and then consistency is key you know you got to be able to knock it down at a high percentage so 
and also just correct mechanics you know there's always the fundamentals that i stress you know are the most important you know just fixing those little mistakes to get it right and to sort of add to that in your experience of of that great shooter and 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 seeing mm-hmm. that great shooter what do you think is maybe the hardest part like what's that like piece that you think players have like the most difficult time kind of getting to, to what's that last piece that seems to be the hardest for them to sort of have click in to become that great shooter i would definitely say learning how to move without the ball when they're being denied you know because most shooters they're used to like okay my point guard dribbles in lane and then passes to me for an open shot, you know, or just unnatural swing. But once teams start learning you and scouting you, they're going to stop helping off you. So now what do you do? You know, a lot of shooters just stand there and they let themselves be taken out of the game. The next step is learning how to come off a screen, how to read a screen. Is a guy chasing you? Do you curl? Is he going underneath switching? Do you flare off of it? You know, how, how do you make those reads and are, do you have the activity to do it? You know, because that's when it's going to take you to the next level as a shooter. That's going to get your attempts up. A great, you know, they talk about Duncan Robinson. They want him to get a minimum of 10 threes a game, minimum, you know, just attempts. They don't, because they know he's such a great shooter. If he just gets 10 attempts up, he's at least going to make three or four. And if he gets hot, five or six. So to get those attempts up, you got to be able to get open consistently. So I would say off ball movement is most important, taking that shooter to the next level. And then as a coach, are you purposely working on things within your offense to create movement so players are, are kind of forced to get open? Or how does that kind of work within your offensive philosophy for players to kind of work on that sort of skill? Yes. Yeah, so we we do a lot of like live training drills, like two and two, two and three to isolate parts of our offense. What we run is a lot of ball screen continuity you know, we go from uh, pretty much a lot. It's almost fake, creates like a fake double screen. We go from a ball handoff into a pick and roll, and we keep attacking both sides of the court with that same like offense. And then obviously, like a lot of people, we run a lot of horn sets where we set off ball double screens and all that good stuff for our shooters. So, and then how we'll train that is we'll get you know break it down into just the two on two, two three on three drills where we have the defense send the different coverages. Like, we'll tell the defender, okay, chase this time. So now when it, when your guy's getting chased off a screen, you got to curl to the bucket. Okay, now switch the screen. When they switch it, you got to flare out, find the gap between it, almost like it's a zone defense, and get that shot. You know, now if they're, if they're going underneath, you flare out and hit it. You know, so just we really train those reads that you make out of our offenses. In... A, a practice situation how much time do you spend on on shooting or how much does shooting kind of work within what you like to do within like a practice we spend literally 50 percent of so every two hour practice we spend an hour on shooting every single day every single one of our guys gets a minimum of 300 makes every day that's the goal we make so we, we count makes and not shots. We're trying to get 300 makes. So we kind of have a little routine. We have a uh, movement, movement shooting included with stationary shooting. So we'll start out with, you know, 20 form shots, <clears throat> 10 free throw on shots, 10 three-point shots. And then we'll go around the world. So we'll do 10 corner twos, 10 corner threes, 10, uh, 10 wing twos, 10 wing threes, you know, et cetera. We finish the sides of the court. And then we'll go, you know, the, the movement shooting will go, you know, elbow to elbow, wing to corner, baseline to baseline. And then after we do that, we'll get together and start working the live shooting. So, And with that, how are the expectations for, for each player in terms of of how many, how many shots that they are expected to make, maybe in terms of percentage-wise and, yeah. and whatnot? Are, are there certain... I guess, levels to your expectations of, of how many makes should be going in or how many shot attempts should be taken? Yeah, so what we do is we do make 10 or shoot 20. So we we're aiming for 50% when we're shooting in drills. So if you can't make tw- if you can't make at least 10 shots and 20 attempts, we go on to the next guy. Because some of our groups <laughs> will be, we'll be there all day if we just rely on the makes. So we got to keep them moving. And as a follow-up to that, 
do you have or do you have a conversation with your players about like you know you're you're a green light shooter you're like a yellow light shooter do players kind of know uh, already what they're supposed to be do you have those conversations with them um i really i probably give more freedom than i should but i really have the green light for all my guys because i say hey if we train to shoot like this i believe all five of my guys should be shooting threes and that's my goal is to have all five of my players in the court can hit three-pointers at all times. So were there guys on our team who maybe shot more threes than they should this year? Probably. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, some of my big guys, sometimes they need that little carrot, that reward for doing all the dirty work, getting all those rebounds, getting block shots. It's like, I'll, I'll take a few missed threes for you to do the dirty work, you know, so. Yeah, I uh... – I think a lot of coaches will will say, "Man, did they shoot too many threes?" Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so you're probably you're probably not alone in that yeah. for sure. And then even analytics, like our bad three point shooters are shooting, you know, like thirty percent. But if you shoot thirty three percent analytically, that's like shooting fifty percent from the field. So even our bad shooters, it's not that bad when you do the math. Like our, you know, some of our guys were shooting maybe thirty, maybe twenty eight percent. And their attempts weren't super high. Like, it was maybe 12 attempts all year, you know, through 16, 17 games. But even that, 3 out of 12 is, I think, 28, 30%. And that's maybe 40% from the field effectively. So Sure. And as a transition into that, when you're looking at at game film, if you're if you're focusing on, on just the shooting aspect of it, how do you kind of parse through game film and – kind of work through okay this is you know these are good shots or you know this is a certain percentage I want to get to how do you kind of identify maybe a good shooting game when you're looking at film good shooting game is definitely you know I still even though I believe in shooting a lot of threes I definitely still believe in quality threes like you know I we have some good players but we don't have any James Harns who I really want him step back threes and <laughs> you know all those crazy things or even even we you know we still teach cuz our philosophy is penetrating kick penetrating kick we want our guys getting to the bucket and forcing teams to help if they help we we kick to the shooters if they don't help we score so so we'd really like believe if someone's closing out on you hard we want you to pump fake and attack you know we we don't want a whole lot of highly contested threes because we believe once if we that guy's highly contesting you if you get to the bucket it's going to create an even better shot for the next guy and if they aren't helping then you got to lay up so yeah i found that some sometimes something that 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 i experience is sometimes we we have players who you know they they can take like a good shot but i know that you know the the defender wasn't closing out properly and it's like man they could have just attacked it could have gone by and so yeah. you know you kind of you kind of have that that same situation and do you have those conversations with your players about like hey this is like an all right shot or like a good shot but yeah. man you could have really attacked here you could have you know made one extra pass or something like that do you do you have do you find yourself having those conversations oh yeah all the time and the conversations different with different guys like like our player of the year Josh McKinney he him I'm honestly okay with him shooting more when he's contesting. He's the type of guy, like, I, I want him shooting 10 to 15 threes a game. He's that good of a shooter, you know. So him, I'm like, hey, even if you're slightly contested, you're a good enough shooter and you have a good enough release and good enough range where I want you shooting that even if you're slightly contested. Mm -hmm. You know, other guys, it's like that exact conversation, hey, he, he closed out and you attack him, you know. Yeah, and I think that that comes to the really knowing your players, right? Knowing yeah. your personnel, knowing who can do what, or, or or trying to get a good good shot into a great shot, or, or things of that nature, for sure. Um, can you talk about experiences that you've had in the past where you are really like developing shooters? Maybe they come in like really raw, or maybe like their form isn't isn't exactly where it needs to be. What are some things that you do to try and maybe correct the, the the more raw type of player and even kind of try and create a shooter out of them? Mm. Well, definitely the biggest thing is just hard work and consistent repetition. You know, you got to shoot two to 300 makes every single day consistently. So it really starts with the player wanting to become a shooter. And we've had some guys like that, you know. Our highest shooting player was a kid named Quinn Davis who came into us, you know, and he shot 43% from the field, and, you know, he really has come a long way in his jump shot. And how we did that was just focusing on the fundamentals, 
and being disciplined because a lot of kids you sh- you show them the right way to shoot and once they start missing it because you're going to regress i this is the old saying i say you take one step forward to take 10 steps forward once to, sorry, one step backwards to take ten steps forward on your jump shot. Mm. You know, you gotta, you gotta. When you change those fundamentals in the, that form, you know, it's really gonna break down. You're gonna get worse, but after you stick with it, you're gonna have a, a jump. Like you're gonna jump immediately. And so, how we train that is just lots of form work. You know, like shoot, to, like you know, four or five feet out in the middle of the paint. Just hundreds of form shots. Being disciplined. Being disciplined. You know. I, it just the kid has got to be disciplined in how he changes it because a lot of kids once they start missing they start reverting to their old bad habits so you just got to stay on them and the practice part as you said is just so important you talked about the amount of makes that they have to make yes. and, and 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 seeing the seeing the ball go in do you have a certain philosophy about what um maybe like every player's form like should look like are there certain things that you uh, will let certain players do if they're, if they're making their shot consistently. What, what's your philosophy on that? So my philosophy is a one-motion shot. I'm a heavy believer in the one-motion shot. I like my guys have a clean, just smooth release. And what I really look at is arc on the ball and the snap of the wrist. Because uh, cons- you see the best shooters, Curry and Lillard, their, their wrist snap is elite. They, they snap it. Their fingers are pointed at the ground every time. How I like to call it is, you know, you finish with the swan. You know, you make a mm-hmm. swan neck with your arm every single time. I got that from uh, from Bobby Hurley, the yeah, like senior, that. Bobby Hurley senior. I saw him. That's how he liked to describe it. So I really just look at arc and rotation on their ball. You know, I, I'm not – I believe in fundamentals, but if a guy is maybe shooting a little bit differently, but he has great arc and great rotation on the ball, I'll let – and his release is still smooth, I'll let him shoot it maybe a little bit differently. Because that's just what he's more comfortable with. Everyone's bodies are a little bit differently. So I really just look at that swan and the release and the snap of the wrist. That's really what's important. And then the one motion. Because when you start having hitches or, you know, you start yanking the ball behind your head, that's when inaccuracies come. You know, it's it's harder to get that muscle memory. And it's it's a slower shot. So. Yeah, I, I like I like the swan. I, I remember I remember uh, I think when I was younger we talked about like the hand in the cookie jar. Yes, <laughs> and, yes. And, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's funny. And the swan it makes you think of the you know because you got to release high because some guys you know they'll they'll push the ball like forward like, like so you kind of got to think of it as like a launch angle you know if he's pushing the ball forward it's flat but if he's swanning it snapping the wrist at the top getting that backspin that's like the right launch angle you got to have. Yeah. Sure. Um, you talked about the amount of makes that, that players need to make and, and for players to become really good shooters, as you and I both know, uh, a lot of practice has to go into it. A lot of, a lot of working on their shot has to go in when you're communicating with your players. Do you have to let them know like, Hey, on your own time, you need to be doing, you know, X, Y, and Z when it become when it comes to your shot, are there certain you know, specific, you know, maybe things or guidelines that you do to, to make, to hold them accountable for that? Or is that something you're just going to say like, Hey, you you have to do this and I'll know one way or the other, whether you yeah. have been or not. Oh yeah, yeah. So I definitely tell my guys, you know, if you really want to take your jump shot or any part of your game, to the next level, like being at practice, you know, four or five times a week is, is not enough. Like you got like the best players, they go and work on their own, you know? And so I don't really have guidelines for that, but I could I can tell in the gym who's been shooting and who's not been shooting. You know, it is one of those things you can tell right away who's practicing. So, and yeah, I a hundred percent agree that it's it's kind of takes like on your own time and and, mm-hmm. and you kind of know exactly like who, who's going to get better, yeah, and and who hasn't been. Do you work a lot on a player's shot? in season I asked because I hear a lot of conversation about how some coaches are like I, I don't want you to think about your shot we're just going to work mm-hmm. with what you have I know some coaches try and tinker here and there if a player's shot during the season but you know of course we're so stretched for time when it when yeah. it comes to t- comes to that so I'm curious about your philosophy on that so I, I believe in we you can make small tweaks that aren't going to like be major changes but I save the major changes till off season definitely because sometimes you just got to completely start from the ground up on a guy's jump shot so but during the season we'll make little tweaks like you know i said like a lot of guys if when they catch the ball they keep their wrist forward 
And when you have your wrist forward, you naturally have to cock it back and then shoot it. And so when, when I tell them on the catch, keep your wrist back, a lot of times that's just a little tweak that'll get their one motion a little bit smoother. You know, just little things on footwork, you know. Should I should the guy step into a shot? Should he shoot off two feet? You know, uh, launch angle. Just you can make tiny little tweaks. Mm-hmm. You know, what's your uh, belief on 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 footwork and and where feet should be aligned? You know, there's a lot of you know there's mm-hmm. ten toes of the basket. There's you know you kind of turn and and kind okay. of are a little bit. And you're not completely squared the basket. What what's your belief on that? Oh, I'm a heavy believer in the tilt. Heavy believer in the tilt. I believe you should have the tilt because if you if you stand in front of a basket and you put 10 toes down and you go up to shoot, you can stand there. You can feel the tightness in your shoulders. You're squeezing the ball. If you do just a slight little tilt to the left or to the right, depending if you're right or left-handed, you can feel now your your shoulders loosened up, your elbow's still straight, and now you can get into that one motion just really cleanly. And if you watch the top guys in the league, like Curry and Lillard, they both shoot with heavy tilts. It also helps generate power as well. So it really just, it loosens up that shoulder so it can keep that elbow straighter and have a cleaner one-motion shot. I, I think that a lot of uh, shooting is, is kind of going that way because of what you just referenced about how, you know, people say, well, if you watch, you know, the best shooters and you look at where their feet are, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily doing the whole, like, ten toes of the basket or, or everything. Yeah. They have that angle and they have that that, that tilt to them for sure. Uh Kind of, it's, it's it's not an off-topic question, but it just came to me because you just kind of mentioned about about Curry and, and everything. Do you have to deal with like players who are you know trying trying to emulate too much or trying to you know maybe do something too much like like a like a Steph Curry and, and James Harden? They're trying to do like way too much of their shot. Do you find that you have to like slow them down, or, or are, they, are they pretty bought in and maybe they just mess around and do some of that stuff on their own time? Yeah. They pr- when we were in the season, I really didn't have any problems with bad shots because we were a really unselfish team. So we, I didn't really have a bad problem with shot selection. You know, of course, you got occasional guys shoot a crazy shot in practice, but nothing, <laughs> you know, nothing crazy. I'm sure they do that on their own time, but I mean, I we do my top shooter right now. We are starting to develop his range and trying to get him a more Curry, you know, NBA range. So that is something we are working with our kind of our lead elite shooters. So. And as a follow-up to that, I think that that's one of the bigger concerns that a lot of coaches have is that players are trying to shoot from, like, way too far mm-hmm. out, especially at a younger and younger age, and yeah. their form isn't there to do it. So they end up doing, like, the heave or, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of chucking it, uh, throwing it over their shoulder or anything like that. Um, when you have players, uh, especially more at, like, the, the, the younger ages, like incoming freshmen and things mm-hmm. like that, do you find that, you know, they, they might be shooting beyond their range or that their form might be a little messed up because of that and you have to do some fixes with that? Have, have you gone through that yourself? Yeah, a little bit. You know, it, sometimes them shooting from there, they get that natural one motion. Other times, they like you said, they just cock it behind their head and throw like a baseball or football, you know. So, yeah, I would say because I'm definitely a believer, like probably like, I don't know, elementary basketball, there shouldn't be a three-point line. Like these kids should be shooting close to like learning the game, you know, because I do think that's a problem, especially since you know, a lot of time at the youth level, you don't have like great like top tier coach, you know, just dads volunteering and stuff like that. So, like they're not going to get taught the right way of you know, okay, work inside out, get to the bucket, you know, correct form. So I do believe at the youth level we should focus on mechanics a little bit more, but it's, it hasn't been a huge problem for us. So that's good. Uh, I'm glad. I've heard some for some definite horror stories before of of players shooting 35 feet out trying to like 10 years yeah, old. <laughs> I, I've been lucky. I've been lucky. That, that's awesome. Uh, talked a lot about uh, shooting threes and the way that works uh, within the the frame of your offense. What's the what what's the role, if any, do you think like the the mid the mid range jump shot that 15 footer plays? Is that something you you want to see often? Is that something your players even really work on a lot? Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I'm I'm not a huge fan of our guys yeah. shooting mid-range jumpers. I'm not. You know, we have a couple guys who are really, you know, our starting point guard, our shooting, shooting guard. We'll, we gave them a little bit more freedom to shoot that. But unless you're one of our top two ball handler scorers, we really didn't want you shooting mid-range jump shots. We wanted to get to the bucket 
and draw the defense or kick it out for the three-point line, you know. That was really our philosophy. Yeah, it's also I found, and, and you can probably speak to this too, that players really don't work on it a lot. Yeah. And I've seen some 15-foot jump shots that seem to go 17 feet sometimes yeah, or yeah. all over the place. And and, and has, has that been kind of your experience? Is, are they not that comfortable shooting a mid-range jump yeah, shot? I, yeah, I would agree with that because, I mean, we – I'll be honest, we don't practice really our mid-range jumpers. I mean, we practice catch and shoots just because that's mm-hmm. how you train a shooter. You got to have – like training different distances helps lock in your distance from different from, you know, long range. So – we definitely practice our mid-range jumpers, but we do we don't do a lot of whole we don't do a whole lot of off the bounce mid-range work. So yeah. it's, it's not something we practice because we don't necessarily believe in it. So yeah, and as you just said, it it they can look very very odd <laughs> when as soon as yeah. the players try try to do them if they, if they don't practice. I mean, anything I guess that they don't practice much, yeah, uh, probably will look a little interesting <laughs> in a game like competitive situation for sure. Do you do uh, in, in practice or do you have players work on uh, their shot or their form uh, w- when they're tired or, or when they've been running a lot or going for a lot of reps? Are there things you do to either simulate that or does that just sort of naturally happen where they're going to get kind of tired when they're shooting throughout the course of a practice? Yeah, exactly. So we, cause like I said, we shoot for an hour each practice. So those last, you know, 15 minutes and we do the entire hour with no break, just continuous, continuous, you know? So by the end, you know, and we do a lot of movement shooting. So when you're getting in that movement shooting, running spot to spot, you start to get a little bit tired. So it just kind of naturally simulated. And then of course I'll do the, you know, the old coach thing when shooting free throws, I'll make them run and then shoot free throws, you know? So that's one way we sh- simulate, you know, free throws at the end of the game. Yeah. Uh, the, the free for a one I think is, is, is really big too. I yeah, know that, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of players will, will be really good free throw shooters if they're not yeah. tired at all, but then, you know, when you get, yeah, I would say we pretty much only practice free throws when we're tired. So, yeah, no, I, I think that that's great. Um, the mental side of things, uh, as we all know, players, uh, that they're going to go through slumps, they're going to go through challenges or, or, or difficulties and things of that nature. How do you kind of work through players, uh, if they're, if they're in a shooting slump or then there's, <clears throat> excuse me, and they're just not going down? Uh, more reps. That's what I believe in. I just believe in more practice, you know, get in the gym and iron it out, you know? And then obviously I tell them, I, I like every coach, just don't think, shoot the ball, you know, don't think about your mechanics, don't aim it, just shoot it. Because a lot of guys, when they start losing confidence, they'll start, like I, like I said, they're, they're aiming the ball, you know. They're trying mm-hmm. to put it somewhere instead of just relying on their muscle memory, relying on their mechanics and just shooting it. So just extra, extra work, get extra shots up, and don't think, just shoot. I, I I like that, you know, like, I yeah. like the idea of, you know, like, you're you're a good shooter, it's gotten you this far, like, it'll continue mm-hmm. to, you just got to – just got to get more more shots up for sure. Yep. Um, it, do you have have you been through situations where where players um, you know they 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 start like like forcing shots or they start to you know really like they try to like quickly get their way out of a slump and and, and try to like force their way out of it or or have you had really good experiences of players you know still being patient working within the flow of the offense to to get good looks in their shots. Yeah, you know, I think every team has a little bit of, you know, occasionally guys will start forcing shots because they feel like they're slumping or they got to get out of it, you know. I just tell our guys, let let the game come to you. If if you just play the game the right way, good shots will come to you, you know. So I just something we stress, just let the game come to you, you know, because we had a really unselfish team. Our point guard, he he's like a – I call him Baby Nash. He if he would just get there, he'd throw behind-the-head passes, behind the behind the back passes if you're open he'd find you so if you just stayed with it eventually you're going to get a good shot in the court with him playing so no that no that's great i i like that a lot we're really going to miss him next year <laughs> i could tell you that it's going to make my job a lot harder well i, I as as a follow up to that you know sometimes we get those situations where you know we have players who put in a lot of work, they're, they're really strong shooters. You know, you kind of got everybody where they need to be. And then, you know, they graduate and they leave. And then you got a whole new group that, that yeah. that's coming in. Are you going to, not to give everything away, but are you going to do any 
sort of changes within your offense if you find that you know okay this this group's kind of lacking in in, in shooting mm-hmm. a little bit or are you going to say you know what we're gonna we we got to stick to this and they got to kind of rise up to to the challenge so to speak what's what's your belief on that I'm definitely a believer in adjusting your offense to the guys you have I'm I'm not sold on one way to play you know I think depending on what group you got you got to change change it up and make it a little bit different like next year we really don't have a, a true point guard in our program but we're going to have a lot more shooting and a lot more size on the inside next year so We'll have to play maybe a little bit more of an inside-out game, you know, some some post work, you know, kicking out threes, have our guys share some duties at the point guard role, have some combo guard type play. So it'll be a little bit differently because that'll be a hole for us next year. We really don't have a true point guard coming up in our program, but we do have great shooters coming up from our JV program. They only lost one game all year, so we had a pretty solid JV team with some really good shooters coming up. And those guys will eventually be – we had two really good freshmen who eventually will be really good point guards. But I, they just – you know, sophomore year, I don't know. If, I don't want to throw them into the fire, so we might have to just share some combo guard work with some of our seniors. So, Yeah, and and that kind of leads into, you know, to have really good shooters. You know, we, mm-hmm. we need to have, you know, good good point guards and, yes, and good passing, yes. be players of good vision. So can you talk about what you – do to kind of develop that out of like your point guard perhaps to be able to, you know, have good vision, find good shooters and be able to, you know, get the pass right where it needs to be. Well, I was very lucky. Our point guard miles, he like has that God given gift of he can has eyes in the back of his head on the side of his head. Like he, he has three sixty vision all the time <laughs> while he's in the game. And that's why he's going to be a college guard. So but how, how I like to teach it, you know, and sometimes he struggled with some reads, is look at look at the defenders and what I tell my other guys. Look at where the help is coming from, and that's where you know where to go with the ball, you know. Always look at the help, you know. Because a lot of guys are looking at the bucket or looking at their own man. Look where the help is coming. If you see help, you know someone's got to be open, and you look whoever that guy's gone, and you find that guy. Or if you don't see help, that's the green light. Attack. Go finish. So. And... I guess it's it's hard to you know quantify this or put it on on a, a good timetable, but like, how long do you would you imagine that 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 process would be to kind of get the player to that point? Is that is that something that do you think players can you know practice or simulate almost like on their own in terms of their like decision making and being able to you know find who's open, or is that just something where you know you need a lot of games, you need a lot of practice practice experience because. For me, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like how could a player kind of develop that sort of vision or anything on their own, but I can't think of anything. So I'm curious about how long you think that takes for a player to really kind of get that developed. I, I definitely think it takes like a year, maybe two years, and it just takes lots of games, lots of just live experience, just seeing everything. You know, just see, people people help different ways. Teams help at different times, and some people don't help at all. So it just it just game experience, you know. There are I feel like you get creative with some simulation drills, but it's just not the same as playing a real game with five guys on the court and five you know five defenders. It just it's never the same. So yeah, yeah, for games, sure. Games, games, games. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's never never can play play too many games. I think that's why the summer and everything yeah. is so important, yeah, which I think is. is even more amazing that. You know your experience last year. Um, at least, you, at least I think I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I don't think you were really doing too much in terms of like a lot of game work in the summer. Um, zero, right? Zero. So yeah. the fact that they had that as much success as they did, I think, is a real, real testament to your, to your players that you had to still, you know, have that sharp vision and decision making and everything. Yeah, we didn't even get to touch basketballs as a team till you know a couple of weeks before the season. So it was definitely an adjustment. So our our guys, you know. They were ready to go. So. Yeah, for sure. No, that that that's awesome. That I think that that that's great. Um, how much do you have your your players? You know, look at their own film. Do you ever have them look at their own own, own like game film? Do you ever have them look at their own shooting? I've heard of you know coaches who you know they'll they'll do like different apps and different things like that mm. for players to kind of work on their shooting. Is what sort of things do you do you have players kind of do to maybe either reflect or or work on on improving their shot on their own yeah so 
like that's the one thing I'll do when guys are in a slump. I'll show them film of when they weren't slumping, you know, because then they just for whatever reason it gets their confidence going and they kind of can see, oh, okay, that this is how I was doing it. This is how I looked. That's one way. One way we did with it, and then. Yeah, just, you know, it's always good for, it's like a golf swing. You know, it's always good for a guy just to see what he looks like when he's shooting the ball, and maybe some things will click. So we weren't too heavy on the film with shooting. We just, you know, we focus on reps, reps, reps. But we did do a little bit of film work. Yeah, it's it's such a balance, I think, between, like, looking at film versus, like, um paralysis by analysis and looking yeah, at way yeah. too much and then yeah. you start thinking oh did i do this little hitch here did i do this that mm. or the other and yeah. it, you can you can really get in your head with with, with shooting yeah, for sure yeah. i think and 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 that's kind of like something you mentioned right like well, just stick with your form's good but you just got to keep shooting you know you got exactly keep exactly keep, keep going at it yeah um do you have players uh do a lot of work within your offense in terms of things like the the one dribble pull up or in terms of working on things like the, the, their pump fakes or, or different sort of like mm -hmm. not not complex moves necessarily but like like moves like that or does it just sort of have to come naturally within what you're working in in practice where like hey you just got to read the situation and kind of make make the right move from there how does that kind of work for you in your program yeah the, the simple move we teach is we teach the pump fake and then the side dribble so we're still shooting the three so we're, we're still we're really trying to get that. So that's what we'll do in our team shooting. You know, we'll do we'll do what we call Duke shooting, which is, you know, line in the corner, line at the top of the key, line in the opposite corner. And then, you know, you go around this you shoot, get your own rebound, fly at the shooter, the shooter pump fakes, dribbles, sidesteps once, hits the three. So that, no, that, that's that's a great one. Uh, I think that's up on YouTube too. I'm pretty sure yeah, I've seen yeah. it up there as well. So no, that, that's really good. Um, are there any other uh, uh, specific like shooting related drills that you really like or things that simulate action that, that you're looking for? Just like kind of standalone almost like shooting type drills? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I love the class. My favorite thing I love is the classic, you know, three man, two ball shooter. You know, you have one guy shooting, one guy rebound, one one guy passing two basketballs so that because really that's the best way to get the most amount of shots up in the least amount of time you know because you're just going one after another you practice all the spots you'd get in the game and then once you do that you transition in the movement shooting so now you have guys you know what we teach our guys to sprint to the shot so you're running you know, we'll start you know the classic we'll go you know corner to wing twos and threes and then we'll go, you know, elbow to elbow, sprint to the spot. So you're just moving, sprinting off the spot. And then and after that, we'll get get together as a team, and then we'll work off coming off the screens. So you you're act. So you walk the – because I learned from uh, our JV coach at Hamilton, I was super lucky. We had a guy named Jeff Malone who, mm -hmm. for his career average, 20 points a game as a shooter. And he, he taught me really well how to move without the ball. And so we teach our guys, you walk them in, you start in slow, and then boom, you just shoot out of the cannon and go and get that ball full speed, stop on a dime, raise up and shoot it. So, no, that, that's, I think that that's super useful. It also sounds really practical for, for yes. situations that, 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 that players are going to go in. And I think I see, yeah, I see so many kids who are great shooters, but they don't know how to use screens or how to come off a screen. So that's something. That's really important for us is learning how to use off-ball screen. Yeah, I know. I, no, I like that a lot, and I think that any any sort of thing that works with shooting that will simulate action that they would mm -hmm. normally be seeing. Yeah, I'm a heavy believer in that. I, I think is really good. Um, you talked a little bit uh, about about screens and, and the importance of players being able to you know you know go off of screens and read off of screens. Let's just talk about the the screening, the act of screening it, itself. What what do you what do you need from your screeners in order to set uh, uh, the best screen they can in order to free up a shooter? What what's your uh, philosophy on on what makes a good screen? Don't be afraid to make contact is the number one. A lot of guys, you know, they'll they'll just you know if you let them, they'll just stand in one spot. You know, I don't like our guys stand in one spot. You know, find the guy. You know, don't set a moving screen, but time it right, find them, get in a good position, and for force contact. You know force him to hit you, you know, because once they start getting hit a couple of times, they'll go underneath and your shooter just has to flare out and it's wide open threes all day. And once he starts chasing, you got to force him to make contact so that 
when our guy curls, he's behind him a step or two, so he's got the advantage to the basket. Is that something that you found has just been like a trend with a lot of players that you work with, where they 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 don't they don't like the contact, they they don't they don't kind of seek that out? Is that something that you've kind of noticed as something throughout the years? I don't think it's not that they don't seek it out. It's just like. They're going through the motions, you know, they're like, okay, mm-hmm. I just go set a screen. I stand, you know, and so it's really got a teaching, just that live action, you know, go do it. You know, it's like, it's just like almost like an unconscious thing. They just like, oh, I just go stand here, set a screen, you know, whatever. You know, it's like, no, you got to go find a guy and make contact. I think that that that's that's a really good point and that some actions and i think screening is definitely one of them that can become almost like mechanical <laughs> yeah exactly like robotical yeah yeah and you're just sort of you're you're doing it but you're not really like really getting after it <laughs> or you're, you're exactly, really not, not, exactly. Not going after it yeah no no for sure I, I think that that makes a lot of sense um i think with shooting in general coach there's a lot of um there's just so much out there, you know, there's just so much out there yeah. in terms of like, here's how you shoot, here's how you do this, this, that, and the other. We kind of talked about the the, t- the 10 toes thing. Are, are there any other like myths or are there any other things about like shooting that you think people learn or are taught that you just don't see the value in or you just think or maybe just overemphasized? Are there any just just things in general about about shooting that you just think are, are maybe a bit a bit nonsensical? Yeah, so the big thing, obviously, we talked about is the 10 toes. And the other thing is how a lot of people want people to have their, like, release point, set point, like, above their head, like, really high, you know. Like, a lot of people teach that they want, they want the, you know, the ball above your head to shoot. And that's why you see a lot of people, like, because they just don't have the power to get that, that ball up or it's a really flat shot. So I, I like – I know I go back to it. Curry has that really low shot pocket, where which allows him to shoot from range really easily and just have that quick one motion shot. And then the other one is a uh, dip in the ball, you know. So I obviously I don't want my guy dipping the ball below his waist, but you know just a slight little dip I teach like right above the belly button helps get that rhythm in your shot, you know, because rhythm is also something that's incredibly important in shooting, you know, just having good rhythm. And just that little dip helps get you your power and rhythm when you shoot the ball. Do you find that that I'm thinking about like that dip to mm. me, and and that could just be in my experience. Yeah. I don't find that 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 comes naturally to to a lot of players, or that's not something that they 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 really like think about a lot. Is that mm. is that something in specifically that you feel like you're 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 teaching them or really getting them to think about? Is that one of those little like tweak things that maybe your players yeah. don't do? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, a lot of guys were taught you catch the ball and you go straight up into your shot. And a lot of time that just ruins the rhythm. So just that little dip to kind of connect your like your legs to your arms, just get that rhythm going is good. But obviously, I don't want the shot to be slow. I don't want my guys bring it all the way like below their waist, you know, and going back up. It just got to be just a, just a little one just to get that rhythm going. And... We talked a little bit about like with with a player shooting about like the like the one motion and about you know the 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 way it gets released. Um, is there like a certain? I guess not to get not to get too mathematical, but like, are you able to quick? How are you able to kind of quickly tell like okay, this shot is 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 a good quick release versus oh, this is just a little bit too slow. What are what are some ways that players and and maybe coaches can learn to just speed up a player's shot maybe just a little bit uh to make sure they get it off uh well and in time yeah definitely doing like the fly out drills you know the way i I guess i just have like a little mental check in my head if i think it's fast enough i don't have an exact science to it i just look at it and say okay that's quick enough but you can once you're in the game you can figure out if okay maybe this guy's released a little slow we got to you know quicken it up but definitely a lot of the fly out drills are really Mm -hmm. good for working that yeah, I, I I like those too. I, I like I like those you know strong closeouts. You know, yes, flying right yes. by him, fly by, and just making sure it gets mm-hmm. off in time for sure. Uh, I think one of the things that coaches um, some sometimes deal with, and I know I have before, is players almost like self-identify themselves as shooters to the point where they don't really 
uh, put a lot of work maybe in other aspects of their mm-hmm. offensive game, specifically if like going to the basket or yes. you know driving and initiating. I was one of those kids when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do, how do you sort of break that out of a player? Are there are there things you got to do to kind of say like, hey, you, you can't just be a shooter, no matter how good one you are. You got to get to the basket and create create contact and finish at the rim. Uh, how do those conversations go, or how do you kind of work with those players? Yeah, it's it's just a conversation you got to keep having with them, you know, showing them film, like opportunities where he, they couldn't got easy buckets. you know. And that's why I said also, you know, moving without the ball. As a good shooter, you can't just stand there and want the ball to come to you. You got to work for it. And if they're taking away the three, you got to know how to get to the bucket. So it's just a conversation that we keep having with them. Are, is it... Is it a just a thing where they've worked so much on their shooting that you think, okay, they're just not that comfortable attacking the basket, or do you have players who are like they they don't they don't want to, you know, get in in the trees and and, and create contact, or, or or have you had kind of a mixture of all sorts of situations that you're working through with that? Yeah, I think it's I think it depends kid to kid the mixture. Sometimes they're just so confident in that three point shot that I think every single one they shoot's going to go in, so that just the shot they're going to take. And I think it's just a mixed bag, like you said, depends kid to kid. Some have different reasons, maybe contact. Maybe they just don't have faith or belief in their finishing ability, you know, so yeah, different kid to kid. And uh, with with those shooters really quickly, before I forgot to – I was going to ask this question earlier and I forgot, but now I just remembered it. Uh, with, with shooters, you know, the shooting the threes, rebounds typically tend, tend to be long, but, you know, three-point shots – could could go a lot of different places. Do you mm-hmm. work specifically on things related to, to offensive rebounding and and work on that nature in, in terms of how it goes with your shooting? Do you not emphasize it as much? What's your philosophy and belief on that? So what we what we teach is we, we you know we do the classic three on three rebounding drill. I'll shoot you know, I'll fire up shots from the corner from the wing. So we work on rebound a little bit that even though that's more defensive rebounding. Uh, focus but what I tell my guys is like majority of the time the ball's coming off the opposite side of the guy where he was shooting mm-hmm. so line yourself up with whatever angle is opposite of where he shot because that's nine times out of ten that's where the ball's going if he misses so. yeah I, I I like that a lot I, lo- I love that free on free free on free yeah, rebounding yeah. as well too it's such a classic one but I think yeah. that it, it just works on yeah, everything. <laughs> yeah, it just it just works on so many great things for sure. Um, let, last question here before we hit our our concluding uh, segment. One of the things that players uh, sometimes struggle with, and I know coaches are always looking to improve on, especially if you have a lot of shooters, is, is spacing and making sure that the the mm, floor is spaced so appropriately. Important. Yeah, it is. It's incredibly important. So. What do you do or how do, how do you work on that to make sure that the spacing is right on the floor from the flow of your offense? So every single practice, we start with the, re- the three-line rebound outlet drill. And we teach, you know, we teach our guys to run to the corners for the three on the fast break, run to the corners. You know, and so that'll space it out for the guy attacking and just create great creates, uh, uh, When you run in the corners, it creates unbelievable spacing in transition. You know, Whoever's got the ball – if there's any sort of help, there's wide open shooters in the corner. If those guys stick on our shooters, it's it's a it's an easy bucket off of transition. So running in the corners is something super important. And all our offenses are either four out, one in, or five out. So we don't do a really we did a couple, you know, a couple times just because of scouting reports, we would run like a flex offense or like a two post up offense just if we had a big size advantage. Nine times out of ten, we're going five out or four out, one in. And in that sort of offense, then I feel like players could potentially have like a lot of freedom. They could have mm-hmm. a lot of uh, decision making that they get to make, where they kind of assess what's going on and make make the best decision for them. Am, am I correct in thinking yes. that? Yes. Yeah. That, that's that's how we play. Our players make the decisions in the court. You know, we have a few horn sets and stuff like that if guys get bogged down or maybe we got a hot shooter we want to look for but pretty much I put the ball in my point guard's hands and he makes a decision on what we're doing and that I I think takes a lot of uh, not only for you as a coach you got to put a lot of trust in your players Mm -hmm. but then as a coach also you have to be okay with the fact that like your players they're going to make mistakes sometimes and that's when I was talking about patience earlier that's exactly (laughs) what I was talking about right so 
as a coach, then how do you balance, you know, letting players kind of work through it within the flow of your offense versus like, okay, like the, this, this particular lineup or this particular person, mm-hmm. this, this isn't working. We, we got to adjust in some way. How do you kind of balance, you know, that sort of decision? Yeah, it's just a discussion with me and the other coaches. You know, yeah. we, we, we typically let guys play through mistakes, but if it gets to the point where it's just, you know, it's getting ugly, like we, we, we make a change and then we start going to, like I said, maybe more patterned offense, like like the flex offense. We, we did that sometimes when we were struggling or horn sets to get specific shots, you know, so – we, we, it was definitely a balancing act. Like sometimes, you know, it just what we weren't clicking that day. So we had to go a little bit more structured, a little bit more patterned. Yeah. It's always good to have those kind of sets that you can kind of just pull yeah. out like, all right, well, it's like, we, we, let, let's do this. We got this. We know how to do this. Let's run through yeah, this a little yeah. bit. And then hopefully Especially when you're getting bogged down and things aren't clicking, you just need to run something that's going to get you a good shot. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. All right, coach, it's been great. So to conclude, there's a couple questions I ask every guest. So I'll go ahead and start here with this first one. Thinking back on your coaching career, what is a coaching moment of yours that you think others listening would be able to learn from? Coaching moment that others can be able to learn from. I would say just definitely, you know, just being resilient, you know, because I, I really never thought I'd be getting into coaching or, you know, be involved with this. But once I got here, it just, you know, the doors open and I've just been working my butt off. You know, I, I started from the JVB team, you know, with seven, eight kids who <laughs> never even played YMCA basketball. And then, you know, our varsity team the year before I got there won five games all year. And then two years later, I'm a state champion, you know, as the coach. And it just, I, you know, I, when I first got that JVB job, I never thought in a million years that this would be the case two years later, you know. And so just, you know, even if I you don't start with the best job, I would say just start coaching, you know, get where you can and just grind your way up. You know, I did, I've been doing all the dirty work, you know. I, I drive the vans for the school and I do, you know, I do whatever I can to help out anywhere. You know, I'll help out with the swim team. I'll help out with the tennis team. Like, I just do whatever I can to help and earn the trust of the school and I've worked my way up and they've given me the reins. So just being resilient. You got to have a certain level of resilience. I think yes. coaching JVB, <laughs> especially yes. doing a lot of work for very little money. So. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. Doing, doing a lot of work. And then also, you know, if you have, if you have the patience to, to work through and, 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 work through some of the things you see mm-hmm. in some of those JVB games or those yes. freshman games, but you can make so. it through that. Um, yeah, you've definitely kind of earned earned your stripes for sure. Now that that that's funny. That's great. Yeah. Uh, awesome coach. And then lastly, uh, I give every guest what I call the, their 60 second soapbox. Feel free to go longer if you want. I won't mm. put a stopwatch on you. Uh, this is where you have the floor to get out your closing message, your final thought, just a final idea uh, that you want to leave the listeners with, coach. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the floor and you can take it away. All right, well, I definitely wanted to talk more about the the ball screen continuity offense we run because I think it's just a really fantastic offense that a lot of players would love to play in this system and a lot of coaches would love to coach this system. And I'll just go over a basic, just talk about what we do. So sure. it's a four. It's a four out, one in. So you space out one, your your weak side, which is the side with only one guard on. You space them out to the corner. Strong side, you got guard in the wing, guard in the corner, and then you got the point guard bringing the ball up the floor. And we teach our uh, our five. He, he rim runs. That'll be our rim runner in transition. The five will be spaced out on the opposite free throw line of wherever the point guard's at. So we have – I'll just start with our basic – our basic uh, rotation and then go into the wrinkles. So the basic rotation, the point guard dribble handoffs to the corner, and that guy comes off the handoff and comes immediately off a screen roll from the five, and they look for that pick roll and attack. If he doesn't have it, he kicks it to the opposite wing, and then they run that same action on the same side. And so I, just this that repeated action just creates so many opportunities to score, so many three-point attempts, and it really spaces out for that rim roller off the pick and roll. And once you get that going, you can hit so many backdoor cuts. Like that back, the backdoor and the baseline, when you go to the corner, once they start cheating up on that, it's wide open on the backdoor. So that's just my little 60-second blast about the four-out, one-in ball string continuity. You can find it if you look up uh, 
I found in the video uh, how BYU uh, had the leading three-point percentage from uh, not this year, but two years ago. It's something they ran at the beginning of the season for Alex Barcelo and Jake Toulson and uh, Yoli Childs and those guys. So it's just a really good offense BYU ran. I I picked it up from them. So. Awesome. Uh, always, always good to have some, some more X's and O's and things mm. to kind of look at and, and learn from. And, and yeah, ball screens. Uh, I, I love the idea of it too. You know, I think ha- handoffs, it's like, it's a legal, legal screen. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a great option. Wonderful. Now that that's really great. I'm glad, I'm glad uh, you brought that up and mentioned that because uh, it seems like it's, it's worked really well for you too. And you've had yeah. a lot of success with it. So yeah. uh, awesome. Awesome. Great stuff. Uh, Coach Dawson, I want to thank you for spending some time talking to us about um, just developing shooters, talking about your your players and, and then your offense that, that you run there at the end. I think that that's really helpful and uh, definitely will give coaches some, some insight and some tips there to kind of develop their shooters and work with them within the flow of their offense. So, Coach, first off, congratulations on, on the great amount of success you had this past year. Hopefully uh, – you can keep that up and, and things go really smooth and really well uh, as we enter kind of a more normal season. Thank you so much, coach. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. And thank you all for listening. This was another edition of basketball teacher podcast. Take care. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Basketball Teacher Podcast. Make sure to connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or reach us directly through email at basketballteacherpodcast at gmail.com. Take care, be safe, and we'll see you next time.